Reading is Genesis 1, 1 to 2, and 26 to 31. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth, and all the birds in the sky, and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give you every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. King's Quest students, you can head to the lobby to find your teachers. The rest of you may be seated. Well, good morning, Grace Long Beach. It's good to be with you guys this morning. Um, it's good to feel, good, still feel excited after Easter last week. That was so much fun. So much fun. So probably before I should have, I showed my boys Star Wars. And uh, they love it. And I love it because I remember as a boy, my Luke Skywalker figures and, you know, turning like every empty uh, cardboard wrapping paper tube into a lightsaber, right? Those things. Uh, but as we showed them, them the original three movies, they had this persistent question. Is Darth Vader a good guy or a bad guy? Yes. Explain that to a five-year-old. Is he a hero or a villain? How do we make sense of Darth Vader? How do we think about him? Is he the good guy or is he the bad guy? He starts good, he has a really like evil run, but then there's some redemption at the end and there's some like murky in between times. How do we make sense of Darth Vader? I think in our culture, the same question is being asked of the church. How do we think about the church, not grace Long Beach specifically, but the church in all of its history, how do we make sense of this group of people who is responsible for perpetuating slavery and the abolition of slavery? How do we make sense of the group of people who are responsible for the crusades 
and the creation of institutions like hospitals and libraries and universities and concepts like uh, orphanages and foster care. How do we make sense of this? Are we heroes or are we villains? I would suggest to us the key indicator in this question of God's people seeing what they've done throughout the centuries all across the globe is how God's people have understood his story. How we understand God's story and our involvement in it helps us make sense of how we are to be in the world, how we are to love our neighbor, as I described when I was talking about ABCD, how we are to relate to the other, what postures we are called to take towards culture at large. And when God's people get it right, we see incredible things happening. We see neighbors being blessed. We see the lonely being invited in. We see the hungry being fed. We see the thirsty being given drink. We see the prisoners visited and cared for. But when God's people get it wrong, we really get it wrong. So how we understand God's story matters. This is why it's the starting point of our triangle. One of the key reference points for us as we move forward is Grace Long Beach. What is our understanding of God's story? So we're kicking off this sermon series, The Story of Scripture, where we will be walking through the acts of the biblical story, creation, fall, Israel, Jesus, the church, and then restoration. That's where we're going over the next few weeks. Thankfully, we get a couple guest preachers in the meantime that'll give us some breaks, but this is what we're going to be focusing on. So today, I get to start us in the beginning, in creation. So if you uh, don't have a Bible, there's a Bible underneath your chair, uh, and you can open us, meet us up on page one. I always wanted to say that. It's always like 890 something, right? Page one. Page one, Genesis one, verse one, says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. So begins the words of God's story. The story that was given to God's people, given to form their identity, to remind them of who they are. Biblical history uh, tells us that, that God gave these words to Moses as the people were led out of Egypt, the people who had been enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. God is giving his people these words to form their identity, to remind them of who they are and who he is. So in the beginning, we see God. Before anything else, we see God. We see God speak creation into existence. Now, we have to remember, this is, this is a poem given to God's people to form their identity. This is not a science textbook. 
So if we're asking questions of a science textbook, this is not the intention of why the Spirit authored these words through Moses. Now, we don't know how God created, but we know God created. There's room for conversation on this. So wherever you land, we're so thankful you're here. We're so thankful to be in fellowship with you. But we see from the beginning, God is the one who creates Some things that we understand about God from the whole of scripture is that God is one person with three distinct, three in one. You guys know what I'm trying to say here. We're getting at the concept of the Trinity. Three distinct people in one unity. This really interesting and intriguing concept that is not easy to explain. There's a distinct diversity and unity found in the very nature of who God is. And then we see God begin to create. We see God out of the overflow of the goodness and love of who he is, begin to create all of creation. And God, we realize is a God of order. So in the midst of this chaos of of whatever was before, in in the midst of the blankness of whatever was before, God begins to bring order. He separates light and darkness. He separates land and water. He separates the skies and the earth. There's this ordering, this separation, because the God that we serve is a God of order, also a God who is not afraid of the messiness, of stepping into the unfinishedness of creation and of our own lives and bringing peace and order and clarity. This is what God has been doing from the beginning. And so as God is creating out of the overflow of who he is, we begin to see this continued beautiful diversity and unity. What do I mean by that? Think about some of the pinnacles of creation as we experience them. Some of the most beautiful moments or places within creation that we go to connect with the divine. Think about the beauty of the sunrise or sunset as light and darkness meet. The beauty of the beach as ocean and land meet. Maintaining their distinct individual identity but coming together in unity. Think about the retreat up at the mountaintop as land and heavens meet. We go to these places and we're awestruck with their beauty. But this is what we see in the very nature of who God is, Father, Son, and Spirit, distinct and unified as one. And finally, as God is creating all of these things, it says the pinnacle of creation is God creating male and female, the pinnacle of creation Man and woman maintaining their diversity, coming together as one in unity. There's children here, but this is a beautiful moment that we experience in creation. Creation, God declares, is good. Everything God makes, he says, is good. And as he completes mankind, he says, it is very good. The stuff of earth matters because God says it does because he created it, because it, in a way, points to who he is. And so this infuses all of life with divine possibility. A a few weeks ago, I talked about it in a sermon, this idea that God exercises restraint in creation. 
right? God created the raw materials of creation, but then he invites us to partner with him to find the hidden potential in the raw materials that God has created. So God created trees. He let us figure out how to build houses. God created sand that we would figure out how to turn into glass and then one, night, one day silicon and semiconductors and cell phones. God didn't give Adam and Eve a cell phone. He let us figure out how to make that. God gave Adam and Eve uh, pigs and chickens and cows and then allowed us to figure out how to make omelets. Thank God. Creation matters because God made it and God is restoring it and God will restore it when Jesus reunites heaven and earth. And so we see this beauty in creation, this goodness in creation that, yeah, spoiler alert, will be distorted by the fall, but not ruined by the fall. Just making sure you guys are awake. We see in the beginning, God creates, God creates everything. And he says that it is very good. And as he moves on to create humanity, we're going to pick back up in verses 26 and 27. So what Genesis tells us in chapter one, verses 26 and 27, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God made us, all of us, in his image. Strangely enough, that means that we look like God. Maybe a more provocative way to say that is God looks like us. If you're a resident theologian, correct me if I'm wrong here, but we are all created in this image of God. We see in the beginning of Genesis that there's something good about this physical creation. And now God is saying within humanity in male and female and all humans, we are created in the image of God. We have intrinsic worth and value because we are created in God's image. We're created to be like mirrors to reflect what God is like. By very nature of us being human, created in the image of God, that means that there is worth and value in every life. This is what has compelled the church to speak up in so many instances when humanity is facing injustice. This is the doctrine that propels the pro-life movement to say no, even within the womb, There is worth and value in life, in human life, amen. And I would suggest not just from the womb, but all the way to the tomb, there is worth and value in every human life. So as passionately as the church is speaking up for the life of the unborn, the church should be speaking up for the life of the newly born and the middle-aged, and the elderly. As much as life matters within the womb, it should also matter outside of the womb because we are all created in the image of God. As much as God knitting together beautiful infants in their mother's womb matters, 
So does that child and their access to clean drinking water or education or healthcare or a whole number of things that promotes the flourishing of life. This does not mean we shouldn't speak out about one issue or the other. This means that God calls us as his people who understand the importance of being created in his image to advocate for the lives of all fellow image bearers. Yes, even the person that steals your parking spot, the person that cuts you off on the 405, believe it or not, their life matters also. We know the easy things, right? You guys already know where I'm gonna go. The people who vote different than you, the people who look different than you, like we know these things. The person at your work who gets on your last nerve, their life matters also. The issues that you feel uncomfortable with, God might be calling us to care about that also. The things that we'd rather not talk about but are vital to the flourishing of fellow image bearers. God may be calling us to bear witness in. Now, this doesn't mean that the church just gets hijacked by whatever the new viral trend is, whatever the new hashtag speaking out against injustice is. No, this means that we stay rooted in scripture. We understand what God is calling us to because we, all image bearers are created in the image of God. This means that we advocate for all image bearers because there is worth and value in their lives. This is a big task. Right now, we're still in creation. Next, in two weeks, we're gonna get to the fall and we're gonna talk about how broken the world is, but there are lots of opportunities for us to press into this. But it has to be rooted in this truth. We are all created in the image of God. There is intrinsic worth and value built into this theological concept. This has real world implications for all of us. As if that weren't enough, scripture goes on to tell us this. Chapter one, verse 28, God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. The fancy theological term here is, uh, this is the culture-making mandate. You guys, I know in the past have had Andy Crouch come and, and speak about this. He wrote an incredible book on this concept called culture-making what God is saying here is he is commissioning humanity to go and create stuff. Art and music and food, go create culture, the ways that we collectively experience our context. God says, go and make it. And there's something good to that. If you don't believe me, fast forward in your minds about one hour. In about one hour, we're gonna leave you and, and your friends or your family are gonna be standing either in the plaza or the parking lot and somebody's gonna say, what should we have for lunch? If you don't think culture is a beautiful gift from God, consider this conversation. Are we gonna go for pasta? Are we gonna have sushi? Are we gonna go have pho? Are we gonna have barbecue at Beachwood? Are we gonna go enjoy pizza at Long Beach Beer Lab? Are we gonna go up to Steelcraft where we can choose from all the different incredible options? We are blessed by different cultures 
And one of my favorite ways is through food. So God says, go, create culture. And because God has created us in his image to reflect what he is like, that requires us to create different cultures. Because God is transcendent. Because God is majestic. Because God is so much bigger than us, he cannot accurately be reflected in one monolithic culture. God doesn't say go fill one area and be really, really good at that. God says go fill the earth. The different geographic regions will in themselves create different cultures. Think about if you guys have read through the beginning of Genesis, we get to this story, uh, typically in your Bibles, it's called the Tower of Babel. And this story always baffled my mind because how I heard it told was, okay, so all the people got together and they built this really, really, really high tower and God didn't like that. And I started thinking like, what is God like with the city, like building permits, like 400 feet is fine, but 401 feet, like, no, 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 that's too much. That's lower it down. But when we start thinking through this culture making mandate, we realize what has happened is all of the people have gathered in one culture, one common language, and they've built this thing rather than being obedient to the commandment that God gives, go fill the earth reflect who I am in all of my complexities and beauty and grandeur through different kinds of culture. And so now the consequence for the Tower of Babel began to make sense to me. They're dispersed geographically and God confuses the languages. Different languages require different cultures to be created. More opportunities for image bearers to reflect who God is. So now when we talk about the beauty of diversity, we have to understand it's not because CNN told us to. It's not because this is MSNBC's political agenda to take over our country. It's because deeply rooted in who God is and who he calls us to be, he calls us to reflect who he is. He calls us as image bearers to be a reflection of what he is like. He calls us to go out and create culture, diverse cultures in which we can get different glimpses of the goodness and grandeur of who God is. One culture can't accurately reflect him because of what's coming in a few weeks, because of the fall, because we're sinful. Because as much as we're called to go create beautiful things, we're still a bunch of broken people who are selfish and violent and, and rude and there is intrinsic brokenness within what we do as well. But as we come together, we begin to get different glimpses of what God is like. We begin to reflect what he is like to others in the good of our culture. We see this culminated in the end in Revelation is, you know, there's every tongue and tribe and nation coming in. And then there's like this really interesting story about how like the kings are coming down and, and like casting their crowns and, and the best parts of their kingdoms, the best of their cultures is laid at the feet of God. I believe barbecue and sushi will be there. Yes, thank you. The best of every culture. Think about that. Think about what that will be like. We had fun worshiping with the garden. The best music from every culture. I was so thankful for tacos last week. Like, thank God for street tacos. 
especially as somebody who came from Arizona the last 12 years, like the Mexican food's just different, all right? It's a whole thing, but the Californian Mexican, the Baja Mexican food is incredible. We realized we had to tone it down because like five weeks in, our youngest son was like, do we have to eat tacos at every meal? And we're like, well, yes, actually we do. It's a law in California. Um, The best foods of every culture, the best minds of every culture reflecting on the goodness of God, the best poets of every culture describing his beauty and his love, the best of every culture across the globe throughout time brought in obedience at the feet of Jesus and lifted up as praise and worship. Can you wait for that? Oh, what a moment. So what does this mean for us? It means that we get to see the beautiful possibility in every moment, every place that God calls us to, every job that he gives us. From the stay-at-home mom who's cultivating a living room of learning and experience and safety and love and laughter for their children, to the math teacher who's tackling concepts that I don't understand, to the mechanic who gets to repair our vehicle so that we can continue to travel to the different places that God has called us throughout our day, the barista at the local coffee shop who gives energy and life to so many different vocations across our city. Think of that, the impact of the person who gives you your coffee in the morning, caffeinating doctors and lawyers and nurses and crossing guards and plumbers and all of the things we rely upon to function as a city. It means that we get to understand a glimpse of how we can reflect who God is in our work, in the ways that we are creating culture, in the ways that we are loving and serving fellow image bearers because we serve a God who loves us in the ways we move towards those who are different because we serve a God who moves towards us in the height of our difference, in the height of our sin and separation from him while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. And now we get to reflect that God towards those who we may not even think deserve our love or are worthy of our love in the same way we were unworthy of the Father's love. We get to move towards them in kindness and compassion and hospitality So when we talk about Christ in all of life, these are some of the things that we're getting at. The way we steward our our relationships with our neighbors, the ways we cultivate our yards. I I know I'm not good at that. Some of you guys have been to my house. I'm I'm learning how to cultivate my yard. But it's an area of garden, just like Adam and Eve were given to tend to, that uh, my boys and I get to tend to and get to try to figure out what can we do with this to reflect who God is and to love our neighbors well. It opens up a whole world of possibilities for us to partner with God on mission. This is what we're getting called into. As we talk about the importance of the story, we need to realize where the story starts. It starts in the goodness of who God is. It starts with his love and creational design that orders things the way they ought to be the way they ought to function properly, to reflect who God is in his unity and in his diversity. The beauty of those things coming together should inspire us and excite us as we go out to see Christ in all of life, to display Christ in all of life. 
And so as you're sitting here and, and you're hearing these really you know, lofty ideals, I know what some of you are thinking. I just wanna show up to church on a Sunday and not have to battle with my kids. I don't wanna have to dread going to the office tomorrow morning. This is how God created the world, but we know this is not how we experience the world day in and day out. We know that things are not the way they ought to be. We know that sin has affected and distorted every sphere of life. We'll get there. But as, as we consider this picture painted in Genesis 1 and 2 of this beautiful creation, this loving God who gets his hands dirty in the soil of the garden to craft Adam and Eve, to breathe life with the intimacy of a kiss into their mouths and nostrils. and Making sure you're still awake. This is that thing inside of us that we remember. That thing inside of us as we scroll through the headlines that says things are not the way they ought to be. That thing inside of us that longs for what should be. This is why we start in creation. We start with how God ordered and designed things. We start with the very essence of who God is. In our, in our reality, our broken reality, this brings us to praise and worship of Jesus who came so that we could be reconciled. Jesus who came so that we could be restored in our relationships with God, in our relationships with one another, in our relationships with physical creation itself. Jesus who calmed the storm, who calmed the waves. Jesus who is reconciling all things. And so at this time, we're gonna continue our service and, and, and for some of you, this may be an opportunity to just praise Jesus for the beauty of, uh, of culture and, and the lunch that you're gonna have and the ways you get to partner with God with, the, with your vocation and all the things he's calling you to do. For some of us, man, we're just tired. And the thought of, of trying to now figure out how my job is also gonna be my mission field and also this reflect, it feels like a lot. It is. Thank God for the Spirit. For some of us, you've never heard this before, and you may not even know who Jesus is. We are so thankful you chose to come here with us this morning. Thank you for being here. There are going to be people who will come up on either side that would love to pray with you wherever you find yourself. Maybe that prayer is, I don't even know how to meet Jesus. Can you help me with that? Maybe that prayer is, I would love the spirit to stoke my imagination of how I can steward my job or my neighborhood more, to ref more accurately to reflect who God is. Maybe the prayer is, I'm tired. Amen. But we're gonna move forward in prayer and we're gonna move forward in, in praising this creative God who loves us, who created us in his image through singing as well. Would you guys pray with me? Father, we thank you for loving us we thank you for creating this incredible world. We do thank you for sunsets and beaches and sunrises and, and shooting stars and, and mountaintops and, and all of the good of your creation. And Lord, we feel the weight of the brokenness. We know that there is a way you created things to be. We feel it. We experience things are not the way they should be. So we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the restoration and the reconciliation that he is bringing. And we thank you that he is reconciling all things. And Lord, we long for the day when you return, when all things will be made right.
when all the areas of our hearts and our motivations and our fears and our insecurities are, are restored to the way you made them to be. We long for the day when you will dwell with us and we will see you face to face with so many different brothers and sisters from around the globe. We cannot wait to worship together. So fill us with your spirit in the meantime. Give us your love and your grace in the meantime. Call us to obedience to accurately reflect what you are like in the times and places that you have sent us to be image bearers, to be culture creators. We pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.